Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business. I'm Variety's co-editor-in-chief, Andrew Wallenstein. Viacom is best known as the home to iconic TV brands from MTV to Nickelodeon. But younger viewers are fleeing to the internet in record number, which presents quite a challenge for my next guest. Kelly Day is president of Viacom Digital Studios, whose mission is to recapture those young eyeballs. Kelly, thanks for coming in today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So so I know you've been there for about less than a year, but it's been a whirlwind of activity. Walk me through the game plan. It has been, uh, the year has gone very fast, let's put it that way. It has been quite a whirlwind. Uh, I arrived uh, the week before Thanksgiving last year, and we pretty much hit the ground running. So, you know, the mission of Viacom Digital Studios is really to address, you know, kind of what you you mentioned. And, and you know, I, I don't know that I would go so far as to say that they're fleeing in droves, but, um, you know, we're, we're not pretending that there isn't a big audience, particularly younger audiences, who are finding different ways of entertaining themselves. And there's a lot of free time being spent by young people in particular who just want to sit and watch stuff on their phones, you know? And so you So what see, are you giving them to watch? So what we're giving them is, um, well, well, I'll stop and say that, you know, I think a lot of companies particularly traditional media companies, right, have kind of paid a little bit of lip service to social media, right? Like, they've sort of used social media... Promotion. Yeah, it's been promotion. Like, you know, they basically, you know, in the early days, obviously, there was a lot of contention about, like, what went up on YouTube and stuff like that. And then eventually, you know, they got to the point where they would just put a whole bunch of clips and stuff like that up there. Um, I think that at, at Viacom, the decision to launch Viacom Digital Studios by Bob Backish was really, you know, driven out of a, a real acknowledgement that, look, we have two choices. We can either pretend that this isn't happening, um, which I still think a lot of people do, or we can address it head on and say, look, this is what the audience is doing. This is where they're spending their time. This is what they want. We need to figure out ways to make sure that our brands are relevant there and that we have content that is really going to engage and entertain them. And so my team was set up really to be able to do that. So I was given an abundance of resources. I have over 300 people in Viacom Digital Studios, and that's primarily production, marketing, uh, development, um, you know, analytics, research, all of that stuff. A very creative-driven team. And all we do is really focus on thinking about how do we reach audiences on these platforms? And a lot of this past year has been a lot of experimenting and a lot of learning. And it's been really interesting because what we found is that, um, and, and some of this we already knew, but, but some of it was a little bit eye-opening, which is that it isn't really a one-size-fits-all. Meaning, um, you know, I, I talked about it obviously earlier today on the panel, but um, certainly different audiences engage very differently depending on the platform, right? So, for example. So YouTube, for example, 
um, really has evolved into a much more kind of lean back, longer form experience, which is a little bit ironic since they sort of invented the, you know, break the fourth wall and talk to the camera format. Um, but what we find now is, you know, a lot of kids come home after school and turn their phone on and basically sit and watch YouTube. Well, you know, um, kind of like, like you used to with TV, right? Um, whereas on the other hand, you know, obviously IGTV launched this year. We've been doing some experiments on that. IGTV is still pretty short. Um, so even though the format is up to 60 minutes, um, we still see that, you know, it's a lot of shorter form content. Snapchat is still pretty short, pretty much three to five minutes. Um, Facebook is kind of in between, I would say, you know, seven to 10 minutes, give or take. But even within that, it's kind of different formats that are working differently for people. Um, and that's a lot of what we've been experimenting with. Um, the other thing is that even within the same brand, different things work on different platforms. And that's been, I think, one of the most eye-opening and interesting things to me is that, you know, if you look at a brand like MTV, for example, right, which is probably one of, one of our most well-known brands, and it's an example sure. that people always like to use, right? Um, and, and I think, you know, every digital studio has said, we're gonna be the next MTV, right? Um, the, the truth is that MTV has been remarkably successful at reinventing itself for kind of these new audiences, depending on the platform that they're on. And, and that even extends to linear TV. I mean, you know, obviously MTV today is pretty different than what, you know, you and I grew up on and what MTV was, you know, in the 80s and 90s, right? Um, MTV is very different now, but it doesn't mean it's any less successful. Like they're producing shows that are, you know, still getting tremendous ratings. Um, but what MTV is to audiences on linear TV, which is it's Jersey Shore, it's Teen Mom, it's, you know, a lot of these successful reality formats. On Snapchat, what MTV is, is a Discover channel that has a lot of content that caters to teen girls and oh. actually does really, really well. And so for these, um, you know, teenage girls who may not necessarily be watching TV, they've kind of discovered MTV on Snapchat. And they're like, oh yeah, it's the Snapchat channel, right? And it, it's sort of, you know, you're scrolling through your phone, you're on Snap, and you've got BuzzFeed, you've got Vice, you've got Refinery, you've got MTV. You know, it's just kind of part of the mix of shows. And I do think a lot of that has to do with the platform and the format. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. Snapchat's audience is very heavy in 13 to 24. Um, more female skewing stuff really works there. And I think in that environment where you've got a lot of different shows and you're just kind of scrolling through the feed, it's natural for MTV to have shows that kind of fit in that environment. Whereas like on YouTube, for example, MTV, we've had a ton of success with Wild Now. We've had a ton of success with like extensions of Jersey Shore and, and the more traditional um, television formats. So that's been a lot of what we've been doing in this past year is really understanding what does our audience want on every different platform. But it's interesting that it seems that you are presuming that your audiences want your brands in the first place. For instance, why not, yes, you've got MTV and Comedy Central, but why not have hatched in an entirely new brand that didn't count on some sort of legacy idea of a brand that young people yeah. may not have much sense of? Um, well, I don't really see it necessarily as an either or, right? So that's sort of the first thing is that 
Um, I mean, the, the short answer was, look, these brands already do have a lot of scale and a lot of audience on these social platforms. I mean, the MTV Facebook page has almost 50 million followers, right? So you're starting from a point of tremendous scale on these platforms already. And um, it's obviously, it's always easier to start from a place where you already have an audience, you already have a foothold, and you say, how do we really engage this audience in a new and different way? versus, you know, trying to, as you say, hatch something, you know, from from brand new. Uh, For all the companies who have said we're going to be the next MTV, none of them have 50 million followers on Facebook, you know. Touche. Well, let me ask you. So I think that's part of it. But, you know, the awesomeness acquisition, for example, that was an opportunity where we said, look, that's a demo that isn't really served by MTV. It isn't really served by Nickelodeon. It fits kind of right in between it. And is a pure play digital brand that has achieved some real scale and made a real impact in their audience, which is primarily teen girls. And so that made sense for us. And so where I think there are additional opportunities for us to continue to expand, um, either by going deeper in audiences that we're already in or by expanding to audiences currently not served by one of our existing brands, we'll continue to do that. Let's talk about awesomeness. The interesting backstory being you used to work there. I did. So how did this even come to be? Because it looked as if awesomeness got into a place where it was a troubled brand and kind of went to Viacom at a fire sale price. What did you guys see in this? And again, you're seeing this from someone who you were there. So, so what was the rationale behind this acquisition? Well, look, I, I, I will say that I think that, you know, we're going to wake up a year from now and find that we got the bargain of a lifetime um, because wow. I think that I think that the company is fundamentally worth more than um, than the situation that was, you know, in, in front of them. Um, awesomeness has a real sound business, right, which is that. Uh, Awesomeness achieved what a lot of other people have been trying to achieve, which is step one, built a brand primarily on the backs of these social platforms like YouTube and others, um, Instagram, et cetera. But then step two, a meaningful film and television business. Um, You know, we we just, uh, our most recent movie to all the boys I've loved before is by every measure, been a pretty smash success. Um, We released it just two and a half weeks ago on Netflix. Um, So, you know, that is a real business. Um, You know, the why did the company end up in the place that that it was in? um, I think a lot of it had less to do with the brand and, and more to do with the fact that unfortunately, you know, you had a complicated situation of, you know, kind of a complicated ownership structure um, that you know was not easily able to resolve itself between the three owners. Um, I think you know maybe a, a little bit of lack of cohesion about what what the vision and the strategy for the company should have been going forward. Um, and then you know obviously with Verizon essentially exiting the media business, uh, you know that was really you know, you could say kind of the the impetus or whatever to put the wheels in motion to say, hey, maybe we should do something else with this asset. And that totally squares with my understanding of that. But also, it's not as if you guys just took awesomeness and said, okay, keep going. There were some pretty significant layoffs. So what's going on there? 
Um, look, the the truth is that um, most of the layoffs were, in fact, in more back office functions. I mean, the reality is that uh, the company is able to be more profitable, more uh, financially viable inside of a larger organization like Viacom, where we have finance, we have HR, we have legal, we have all of these amazing resources that we can put to work for it. Um, and so that was just sort of a, a simple exercise of saying what makes sense to make this business as healthy as it possibly can be. Um, the second piece of it is, look, yes, the Go90 deal went away. And as part of that, um, the production volume coming out of awesomeness right now is a little bit lower than it was before. So we don't need as many people making as many hours of content. Um, but the pieces of the business that were always strong, were always healthy, were largely untouched. So for example, you know, our television studio, which makes shows for Hulu, we've got two more coming out this fall. Um, we actually added people to that organization. Um, the film studio, you know, Brian Robbins, of course, Another is at Paramount Players. Uh, Brian's over at Paramount and he's really excited to, you know, now be in the business of making awesomeness films again. And so, um, you know, we're, we're definitely looking at, you know, a 2019 slate of films and thinking about what the film slate would be now in the Paramount environment and the team that, you know, continues to manage YouTube and our social platforms. Again, same people who have always been there, amazing people. Um, it was really just a matter of um, sort of setting the company up for success, knowing that, you know, the go forward operation would be a little bit different than what it was before. But I think it's actually in a good place going forward now. Awesomeness is not the only acquisition on the digital side for Viacom. Some interesting stuff, and some of this may have preceded you. Who say? Yeah. VidCon. Yep. Neither yep. I would have put on my guessing list of yeah. what would end up at Viacom. So, yeah. what are you doing with these new pieces? And explain those yeah. pieces. So, Who Say actually happened right around the time that I was coming in and was really led more out of our uh, our ad sales organization, you know, which is run by Sean Moran. So, his team was actually very excited about Who Say, um, and and Steve Ellis, who is the CEO of Who Say, has done a really phenomenal job. Um, in the last nine months since he's been with the company. Um, but that was really about sort of extending the offerings and the opportunities to our, our advertising clients and, and you know making sure that we really have a great solution in the market for people who are interested in partnering with influencers and, and working with celebrities in different kinds of ways. Um, VidCon is something that I, I did literally jump up and down on the table and said, we absolutely need to do this. Um, you know, Viacom, has been uh, very interested in, in investing more in experiential and live experiences in general, right? So um, this year, I think we did more live events. Maybe the, I, I might be speaking out of turn, but I feel like we've done more live events this year than than we ever have. You know, we brought Slime Fest, which is our Nickelodeon festival, over from the UK and launched that in Chicago. We had our second year of uh, Cluster Fest, which is Comedy Central's. Um, MTV continues, um, you know, to focus on movie and TV awards. Awards and VMAs and uh, Isle of MTV, you know, they've got a bunch of different events. And, you know, for, for me, I think the opportunity with VidCon is kind of twofold. One is that, um, you know, if, if you look, and this is, you know, small world, but if you look at the, some of the success that Awesomeness actually had in the branded content space and working with partners like Hollister and stuff, 
VidCon, ironically, was actually a big piece of that, right? Mm. And so um, when you're going out and you're offering solutions to advertisers, being able to connect across different content types, they want across platforms, so they don't just want to buy one platform, they want to buy across all the social platforms. And more and more, what we're finding is sophisticated advertisers understand that experiential and being able to, to physically connect with consumers around these like, FOMO events and stuff um, is critically important and they want to be part of it. They want to find a way to be in there. Um, and, you know, VidCon has for almost 10 years, it'll be our 10 year VidCon's 10 year anniversary in 2019, been the biggest event to really um, connect with, with both fans, but also with these influencers. And I think the thing that people find so powerful about VidCon when they go and the reason why you know you see that the studios now coming into VidCon you see a lot of brands coming into VidCon in a big way is because when they get there they see this intersection of these rabid fans who are screaming and crying and like running and you know trying to connect with their their favorite you know influencers you've got these influencers who are just bigger than than Brad Pitt, bigger, you know, like they're these larger than life personalities. And then you have the industry that's kind of like now, and the industry track is actually our fastest growing piece of it, right? Sure. So the industry track, you know, all coming together, it is that intersection that I think is kind of unique about VidCon and has what made brands like um, like Hollister, or this year we had um, you know some of the Mars brands there with us. We also had um, a bunch of the studio brands there with us. Um, they get it; like it's really powerful. Um, and so I, I think for us, the opportunity to have VidCon as part of the portfolio to help think about how to expand that around the world. So international is a big focus for us. We announced that we're launching London um, in February. To have that as a solution to our marketing partners and our, our advertising clients, like it just made so much sense. Um, and now, you know, the other opportunity that we're starting to think about is, you know, is there a, an opportunity for VidCon to really be more of a 365 day a year brand, right? Like, really? how do we how do we think about connecting with these audiences, you know, year round outside of just the live events? And so, you know, much in the way that Variety started as a publication and has a huge events business, I think you sure. know we're sort of thinking in the other direction, right? How do, how does VidCon go from being just a live experience to you know, maybe being more of a media brand. So that's something that Jim Lauterbach is spending a lot of time thinking about. Sounds like you're all in on influencers in general. Um, is that safe to say? I mean, there's certainly been some criticism about, oh, they're tough to work with, and sometimes the branded content doesn't work. But, I mean... I think, uh, look... I think we've kind of transcended like what is an influencer, right? To be totally honest. Like I, I think if you had asked me that like three or four years ago, I would have said, yeah, absolutely. But like the talent themselves have evolved a lot mm -hmm. um, in both directions, right? Which is that, you know, even five years ago, um, I don't think you would have seen, you know, a great example would be like Will Smith, right? I mean, Will Smith's YouTube channel is on fire, yep. right? He's killing it right now. Um, I don't know if you would have seen that five years ago. And, you know, we, we do see more and more um, people that you would consider traditional celebrities, right? Moving very aggressively and becoming very savvy about how to 
uh, use social platforms and, and use digital platforms uh, in a way to really reach audiences and connect with audiences and open up business opportunities. You know, look at what Reese Witherspoon is doing with Hello Sunshine. Like, they're, they're really smart about saying, okay, this is a whole other world where I have a lot more creative control. I can talk directly to my audience. Like, I, you know, I don't necessarily um, have to abide by the old rules and I can, you know, have control and build my own business. At the same time, you've got a, what you would consider an influencer, right? Someone like Liza Koshy, for example, who the, the, the amount of platforms that she has not just transcended, but like conquered at this point is amazing. I mean, like she is absolutely amazing. And, you know, she was the host of Double Dare for us on Nickelodeon this summer. She was the host of TRL. She did an amazing job on that. Um, we've worked with her in, you know, more traditional digital capacity. You know, Liza started a couple of years ago, actually, you know, doing uh, scripted television for awesomeness. She was the star of, um, uh, freakish uh, a few years ago. And so, you know, would you consider Liza now to be an influencer? I don't know. Like, what? I mean, she's, she's just a star. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a star. People love her. You know, she can do anything. She can act. She can host. She, you know, she still has a huge YouTube channel. She still has a, you know, huge social presence. So I think the point is the lines are really, really blurry now. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, like, we're in the business of partnering with talent and developing shows and formats and things like that with talent that are going to make sense depending on the platform that they're on. And let's talk about platforms because those are your partners now as well in the same way that Viacom would worry about Comcast and Charter. You now need to deal with Facebook yeah. and Snapchat. Yeah. What is it like? The monetization challenges have been discussed, uh, all sorts of things. I mean, are you getting a sense that one platform is better than another? What's going on? Uh, look, across the board, one of the things that I would say has been most gratifying for me coming into this role at Viacom is the tremendous support, respect, um, just overwhelming sense of collaboration that we've really got from all of the platforms. Um, it has been a tremendous uh, surprise and, and amazing upside. Um, they've all been really phenomenal. Um, you know, there, there's a bunch of different nuances in that, right? Which is, it, it sort of depends on the platform you're talking about, right? Because I think one of the mistakes in the industry right now is people like to take all of the social video platforms and sort of lump them into one bucket, right? And the truth is like, they have very different strategies. The audiences behave very differently on them. They have different monetization opportunities. Um, and the biggest lesson for us has been that we really have to think about working with each of them very distinctly, right? Um, but it, it's hard to pin a like better or worse, right? Like they're all sort of in different phases and trying different things. Um, I think YouTube, uh, obviously, you know, the way that YouTube has evolved and is really in some respects maybe the most mature of the platforms, right, is you've got your free ad supported piece of YouTube, which of course has always been there. For that, we're really focused on building and growing and engaging uh, audiences um, from a pure monetization through pre-roll and things like that. It's certainly... 
um, one of the easiest to monetize. You know, um, it's it's a six second spot, a 15 second spot, a 30 second spot, and we can package and sell that in the upfront. We can package and sell that with branded content. We can sell that pretty much any way we would sell any other 30 second spot. So that's a very mature monetize, monetized platform. Um, and then of course, you know, there's the incremental opportunities with uh, YouTube Premium, uh, the MVPD service, et cetera, et cetera, which you know continue to be um, opportunities across the board for Viacom. Um, Awesomeness has a season four of uh, Foursome coming out soon, so you know we continue to work with Suzanne and the team on the the premium side as well. Um, Facebook, you know, Facebook's been been a great partner to us in that. Uh, they want to try different things with us, you know? So um, they've been very collaborative. They give us a lot of feedback and a lot of information about, hey, here's what we're looking for. Here's what's working. Um, they've given us a lot of, frankly, great advice about how to just like building and engage the audience there. Because like I said, that is a platform where we have a really large footprint. And what we were trying to do is say, look, we have this huge footprint how do we really like connect with people, right? Like not just have a like, which is, you know, obviously very passive, but how do we like really engage the audience? And the team at Facebook was incredible about like really diving in with us and saying, here's how you do it. And we had a lot of success very fast there. I think on the Facebook watch side, um, you know, we've done a bunch of shows with them. Uh, they've had mixed performance. Um, some of them have done really, really well. We are a uh, partner with them on the alpha program for the pre-roll and mid-roll, you know, that they've been testing out. I know there's been a lot of people uh, talking about the fact that they're sort of inserting mid-roll into awkward places. So <laughs> um, I, I think over time that will continue to sort itself out. Um, you know, if that gets solved, if there is a real opportunity for media on Facebook for partners like us, um, I mean, that could be an enormous monetization opportunity. Um, it is early days, so we'll see how it goes. And then Snapchat, you know, we obviously, uh, Viacom has had a tight relationship with Snapchat for a long time, right? So we had a really big ad sales partnership early on, then Jeff Lucas went over to Snapchat and obviously ran ad sales at Snapchat for a long time. So we've been pretty deep with Snap for, for a pretty long time. Um, I think that things have evolved to a point now there where they really come to us and say, hey, we have an idea. Can you help us think about how to produce this, right? Like we've had a lot of success there um, building and developing shows with them. So we figured out what works with them. We figured out kind of how they like to work and the process around notes and stuff like that. And so we're sort of settled into a good rhythm there right now. And we're actually getting ready to... Um, expand. Uh, we've mostly been focused on MTV. We're getting ready to launch a new show with BET um, that we were in production with them on right now. We've got a couple of Comedy Central ideas that we've been talking to them about um, and and obviously awesomeness as well. So uh, and there, you know, we we do have the sales rights. Um, we continue to sell sponsorships and brand integrations and things like that. And that's gone perfectly fine. So one last question. Give us an example of a piece of content coming out of the studio in the coming weeks and months that uh, you think will make some noise for you guys. Oh, gosh. You know, sometimes things come out of places that, that you don't really expect them to. Like, I, I think 
Very recently, we just launched this mini mockumentary show um, with Comedy Central. And it was it was one of those where we thought it was a really good format. We thought it was going to work. And then it launched and we were like, holy cow. <laughs> like the, the first week we launched it, it got 23 million views Whoa. Uh, in the first week. And we were like, wow. I mean, just really took off like wildfire. You know, if you had asked me a few months ago, is that going to be the show? I would have been like, I don't know, you know, maybe. Um, but it has really been um, a, a home run. Um, you know, I, I think coming up, um, we've got a new Nickelodeon show that we're launching on YouTube, which we actually announced at the upfront in the spring, and it's finally launching in the next couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about. It's our first animated series. Hmm. Um, it's called the JoJo and Bobo Show Show with JoJo Siwa. So I think that'll be a really interesting one because you have someone like JoJo who is like internet gold, right? Like she's such a big star on YouTube. Um, and and we've been trying to think for a while about how to develop something really around her. She has this dog, Bobo, um, and she travels a lot of places with the dog and stuff. And um, so the idea of doing an animated series, JoJo does the voiceover, it's her and the dog. Um, I think it's going to be really cute and really fun. It's launching in a couple of weeks. So cross your fingers. Well, good luck with JoJo and a lot more. And thanks for coming in to talk to me. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. That's been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for more interesting conversations with some of the brightest minds in media. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Either drop a comment at the iTunes store or send us an email at podcasts at variety.com. 